I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we will begin delving into chapter 3 this morning, but as Peter has been doing throughout this, in fact, I, I feel really horrible uh, for the editors that originally attempted to versify this letter because there are no clear breaks anywhere. He, uh, he bleeds from one thing to the next, always holding what he has already said before you as he just keeps adding to it. What he started out with in verses uh, 1 through 5, he has just been adding and adding and adding and adding. He's been unfolding implication after implication after implication. What does it mean to be a stranger and alien? What does it mean to have uh, to be a participant in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that comes from that? That's all he's doing. He's unfolding that over and over and over and over in all these different ways. And so as we try to go into chapter 3, as you notice there, I have some key verses from chapter 2 that we're going to read first because everything that he's about to say here with regards to wives it's just one more unfolding of what he has already been saying. This is just a new application of the truths that we have already been looking at. Before we read, um, I wanted to just follow up real quickly on, on, uh, on what Les mentioned in his prayers. I don't know if y'all are reading online or talking to friends at other churches around the country, but churches really are just being ripped in half right now by the coronavirus and not the virus itself but how do we respond to the coronavirus and there are strong opinions i know that you're aware of those i'm sure we have those in this congregation what is happening though in other congregations across the country right now is they are not maintaining those opinions very well and as a result there is a lot of infighting going on there is a lot of separation and division right now among brothers and sisters in christ and i was just in one i wanted to thank y'all because we don't have that here even though i know we have varying opinions about how to understand this thing how to respond to this thing I know we have that here, but I just want to really thank you that you have done an exceptional job in maintaining, <clears throat> in maintaining these ideas and not allowing them um, to become reasons for fellowship, because that's what's happened. Believe it or not, across the country right now, whether or not you believe that you should wear a mask or shouldn't wear a mask has become a reason for fellowship or not fellowship. So I just wanted to thank you all um, because I think we have been blessed, um, but not only that we have been blessed, but you have been responding to God's blessing. Um, you are participants um, in what he is leading and uh, it's exciting because as I talk to other friends who are pastors or elders, um, my stories right now are completely different than most of theirs. 
And that's real exciting. It's also rare for me. So this is also, <laughs> that's also exciting. All right, well, let's read uh, First Peter. The focus here is transitioning into chapter 3, uh, but uh, we're going to read a few verses before we get there. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as, e as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. As all the ladies take off your gold this morning, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, these are words that you have given to us for our benefit, as difficult as they are to receive. You have been testing us, not only through the coronavirus, but here through this letter to, of 1 Peter. Testing us to, by, by entrusting ourselves to you, entrusting ourselves to your wisdom and not to that which comes naturally to us, especially as Americans. And so help us, Lord. It is such a blessing to be an American and to have grown up in a country that has the values that have been here in the past. Help us, Lord, to heed the warning that you gave to your people as they were going to enter into the promised land that amidst the blessing that they would not forget you in the process. Help us, even now, Lord, that as we, our lives do not seem to be marked by as much blessing as they have in the past, help us to see this as, a, as an opportunity to wake up and to be reestablished in your covenant faithfulness, in the grace that you give us for ours. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Be subject. How many times in the last few weeks as we've read that has the hair on your back, well, not the ladies, but hair in general, on your arms. I think we all have it on the arms. Stood up a little bit. How many times as we've used this phrase, be subject, has it been like the proverbial nails across the chalkboard or the needle scratching across the record? Be subject. What do you mean? Be subject. And I'm sure what has really helped is the fact that I have purposefully not given you any caveats so far. Some of you are aware of that. 
some of you I know are like, hold up, it just seems like you're saying you're, we're just supposed to do what the government says. And based on what I've said, I understand why you would say that. And I've done it that way because the same caveats that we would provide in all of these different scenarios in terms of your relationship to human authority, whether that be governmental, political, whether that be within your, your, the household, the job place, uh, within your marriage, regardless um, of what specific institution we're talking about, the caveats are the same for all of them. So I'm not gonna give the caveats until we've gotten through the different institutions. And I'm doing that on purpose not only because all the caveats are the same and I don't want to repeat them over and over. What I want to repeat over and over are the positive statements of the text because the positive statements of the text are the ones that are hardest for us to embrace. Many of us are looking for the caveats because we want to know, okay, well, yeah, be subject, great, but where are the places where I don't have to be? Or at least that's how I read it. Maybe you are more, more mature than I am. But that's how I tend to, to deal with it. Be subject. Okay, yeah, I get that, God, sure. But, I mean, surely it can't mean across the board everything in every situation. No, it doesn't mean that. But I want, don't want to give those to you yet. I want the pressure of the text to sit on us. One of the most difficult things for us is giving up our human wisdom and entrusting ourselves to God's wisdom, especially when what he says is wise doesn't make a lot of sense to us. And the worst thing that we can do is try to reduce the friction. Now, we also don't want to add unnecessary friction because God doesn't want that either. But our interactions with the text cannot be based on a desire to experience the least amount of chafing as possible. We also don't want our experience of the text to, to be one in which we come and we you know, self-flagellate before the text to try to make it harsher than it is. You see, this has been one of the biggest struggles for the church throughout the history of God's people either running to the side of legalism or running to the side of, of antinomianism or, or running to the side of, of easy believism, running to the side of it's all grace so there's nothing for us to do, or running to the side of, well, we got to do it all. Yeah, Jesus gets us in, but we have to stay there on our own. There are these two extremes that we struggle with. For us as Americans, I believe one of our biggest struggles with a passage like what we've been dealing with here in 1 Peter is that we have been blessed with living in a system of supposed, <laughs> we, there could be arguments here, of self-governance. We get a lot of say, and we get a lot of say in a way that people throughout the history of the world have never gotten. And it is a blessing. It is awesome. It is great. But we also have to be able to, to take a step back at times and ask ourselves when the benefits of the secular system that we have 
possibly come up against God's wisdom, what are we going to choose? And I'm not saying that there is anything here innately or inherently that causes that. I think we are the ones who bring the problem to the text. Me included. I, I, I hope I have communicated that well. But I don't see this as being something that's going out there with, with others. This is an internal wrestling that I have had for years and years and years. I don't like the idea of subjection. And it's hard. What makes it really difficult within this text, by the way, because if you notice, we haven't actually dealt with the idea of subjection here, have we? I've been saying it, but we haven't really unfolded it. One of the most interesting parts of the subjection that Peter is talking about here with regards to our interactions with these different institutions, different human institutions, is um, that the Greek word here um, for, for subject, it's actually, it's what we, uh, all right, now the language nerds are going to get a little excited. It's, it's in the middle voice. This is a voice that we don't tend to use in English, but it is a voice that you do find in Greek. And what it means is, uh, if you have active voice, that means the subject is the one performing the action of the verb. If you have passive voice, then the action of the verb is being performed onto the subject. In middle voice, the subject is performing the action onto himself or herself. And so part of what is being said here, to get rid of all the, all right, so the grammar people are happy now, for the regular folks, what that means is this is a calling to voluntary subjection. Voluntarily submit yourself. Because you are a new creature in Jesus Christ and because he is your king, voluntarily submit yourself to every human institution. Everything that we do is an expression of who we are in Jesus Christ. Because the Christ, who was the king of the universe, submitted himself voluntarily to human institutions when he was here. And as we have been saying, we are the visible presentation of that Christ to this world. That Christ is not just a Christ of history. It is a Christ that continues to be present in and through you, God's people. And when we voluntarily submit and subject ourselves as an expression of Christ's voluntary submission and subjection, we, as I said, we, we are these, just like the, sac, the, the bread and the wine are sensible signs of God's grace to the believer, we are sensible signs of God's goodness to this world. That God is a good God. And how can the world know that? Well, they are supposed to look at the church and see it. Everything that Peter has been saying here, by the way, as I have attempted to draw out here, he is saying for evangelistic, 
and apologetic value. He is not giving us these general ideas that we are supposed to to follow as Christians. He's not giving us general principles of how to engage politics. He's not giving us general principles of of how a, a Christian marriage is supposed to work. Because what is assumed throughout this whole thing, as I have said, is how do you embrace and embody the hope of Jesus Christ in a hostile world? How do you do it when Nero is the emperor? How do you do it when your master or your employer is a jerk? How do you do it, wives, when your husband is not a believer? See, this is all about evangelistic and apologetic value. So don't read these verses thinking, here are general principles for us to understand how to do X. What he is telling us is if you want to be effective in evangelism and apologetics, here are ways for you to embrace and embody the hope of Christ in the hostile world in which you are living. We are showing forth the suffering Savior through the hope that we have in Christ and through the trust that we manifest in him. And what he is doing here is is not telling us, so do these things because this is the way that you transform a society. What he is saying is do these things because this is the way you as an individual believer, this is how you as a wife, you as a husband, you as an employee, you as an employer, This is how you are transformed more and more into that Christ that you are presenting to the world. This is about life-changing personal and corporate alignment, allegiance. Now, within this day and age, the conversion of one spouse, whether it was the wife or the husband, the conversion of one spouse would create major difficulties within the marriage and it would create major difficulties and strains between the the married married couple and society. The Christian spouse could uh, do something in a way that would would provoke criticism of the other spouse. The Christian spouse could do something that would provoke criticism of the Christian religion, of Christ himself. Christianity at this time was seen as being a disrupting factor for the social fabric and order of the well-being of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire saw the family as one of the most fundamental basic realities of their society. They valued very highly the idea of social order and things being in place and things operating well. Now, they didn't value those things being done in a Christian way, by the way. And so there was quite often an abuse of power and authority to retain that structure. There was quite often a very hierarchical system Uh, within the social order that was supposed to keep everything straight and organized. And so the Greco-Roman world was not a world 
that was known for mercy. It was not known for love. It was not known for grace. It was known for law and order maintained at almost any cost. Which you can imagine then, right? As Americans who know American history, what is the problem when you have that type of authority being exercised? It tends to be, or we, we can talk, we're Presbyterians, I know, but we can still talk. It tends to be what? Abused. It tends to get abused. And so how do you do this? Peter here is providing us, by the way, it's hard for us to see it because the world that we have grown up in, but for the people of Peter's day, they would have heard these words and they would have never felt so affirmed and empowered as a human individual. Ladies, the words that are here, especially, by the way, when we get to the guys in verse 7, so guys, don't get, don't get too comfy. But when we get to the guys, the words that are spoken to the husbands would have been so affirming and empowering to the wives. The women of the Greco-Roman Empire did not have much place their value was seen uh, in what they could provide their husband. Their value was seen in providing children. Their value was seen um, in, in lots of different ways, depending on which class you lived on. The, if you were part of the upper classes, the value was in being attractive and being beautiful because that made your husband look good. It, it wasn't something that you would get value from. It, you were there to be on his arm and to make him look good. And if you want some interesting history of the Roman Empire itself, read about the role that, um, that or the, the, this, an incidence that occurred over and over and over in Roman history where one Roman uh, man, normally in a, in very high up in power, um, went after some other man's wife, which resulted in war, which resulted in governments being toppled and restructured. And it repeats over and over. One of the most famous occurrences, by the way, involves the family name Brutus. And I'll leave that to you to figure out the connection. Or you can ask me later. What Peter is doing here is not telling the Christians, you need to restructure the Greco-Roman world. What he is saying is, you need to operate within that existing structure in a way that subverts the values of that structure. I'm going to say that again. He does not give them any instructions here about how to overturn the structures that are already in place. What he does as he gives them instructions about how to subvert, subvert those the values of those structures by engaging in them as representatives of the suffering Christ. Make no doubt that this is a radical subversion to the social expectations 
of that day, but not because he is telling them to overthrow things, but because he is helping them to see that when they value the rule of Jesus Christ in their own lives, that the best way to show forth the superiority of his worth and of his rule is by showing forth his voluntary subjection. Doesn't seem too wise to us, does it? That's not what we would consider wisdom with how to win. And yet, is it that not the gospel of Jesus Christ that from the very beginning in Genesis 3.15, that the promise that God made that would show forth that he would win for his people was through someone that would be struck and that would be hurt. And yet, in receiving that blow, would deliver a head blow that would kill the enemy. That's not how we tend to think, is it? We think we've got to have superior arms. Well, not arms, even though that, help, that helps too. But superior weaponry. That we have to have more power. We have to have more bombs. Right? We have to have more soldiers. We have to have better, you know, um, planning. And look, all that is true with regards to earthly warfare. But that is not the warfare that you and I are engaged in. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And the warfare that we wage is a warfare that has already been won by our Christ through voluntary subjection and suffering. There was... There is great subversion that is being presented here, but it is subversion in a way that does not attract attention to itself as subversion. It attracts attention to itself as being odd and being weird. Now, in a sense, by the way, there isn't anything really new being said here for the people who lived in this day. Of course women knew that they were supposed to be subject to their husbands. That's how their system worked. It was expected that wives in Greco-Roman culture had no friends of her own. It was expected that the whole of her day revolved around serving the needs of her husband. And then, secondarily, the family. And she was to do it in such a way that her value was based on how well people spoke of her husband. Do you see the problem if you have a woman come to know Jesus Christ and to be in a marriage with someone who did not? To be a Christian by nature means that you are drawn into the fellowship of the body. By nature being... Um, in Christ is to be in his body, is to have friends. And if your husband is not in that body, you have friends that are not his. That was seen as a disruption to the social order of that day. That was seen as rebellion and a challenge to the husband's authority that his wife would spend time with anyone that he didn't say she could spend time with. 
or to spend time with anyone without him present. Do you feel the stress of that? In the Roman order, the, the prosperity of the home was, was based on the spirituality of the home and the expectation for the wife was that she was supposed to worship the same gods as her husband. Do you see a problem if a wife comes to know Jesus Christ? Whereas Peter has already talked at this point that her sole allegiance is to be to Christ. What does she do? If the husband says, we're going to sacrifice to the family gods. What does she do if the husband says, we're going to go to this festival and we're going to participate in, in sacrificing to these certain gods and people are going to be there and they're going to see whether or not you're with me and they're going to see whether or not you participate. The prosperity and well-being were, were in jeopardy if the wife did not participate. The respect of the husband was in jeopardy if she did not participate. The order of the home was in jeopardy if she did not participate. And the result corporately was quite often any time there was something really bad that happened, any kind of natural calamity or, or, or you know, warfare where they lost the battle, whatever, it was typically blamed on the presence of the Christians because they were the ones disrupting the order of things by worshiping only one God and not the pantheon. This is a lot of pressure that they are living under. You, who wants to be known as being the cause of rebellion in one's home and the failure of one's prosperity? Who wants to be known as the one who has brought shame and embarrassment on her husband, on her children? who has brought criticism upon herself for simply trying to be faithful to Jesus Christ. This is what the women in general faced, let alone Christian women who were married to non-Christian husbands. And what does he say? Be subject. Now, there's a whole lot of what that does not mean, and we're going to get there. But let this, let this sit on you a bit. There is something in what Jesus is saying here, or what Peter is saying on behalf of Jesus, about exemplifying his person and work and his rule in this world by voluntarily submitting to a husband out of reverence for Christ. Just like the average individual citizen was being called to sub be subject to human institutions out of their reverence for Christ's rule, the wife is being told her primary motivation for submission and subjection is her love for Christ and for Christ's love for her. What is she is not being told here is to do this because her husband, by nature of being a husband, is worthy of this. And by the way, so here is one of the knots we are going to talk about. One of the things that this clearly says, 
and clearly does not say is that this is being said to women who are married in relationship of how they relate to their husband. What is not being said is that this is how all women are supposed to, to interact with <laughs> all men. See, Satan didn't want me to say that part. I'm going to say that again. This is not instructions for how all women are supposed to relate to all men. There is absolutely zero in this text that is saying the reason that women are to do this is because they are of less value or less worth. And he is certainly not saying this is where you get your value and your worth because that is exactly what women were being told in the Greco-Roman world. Your worth and your value comes from your performance for your husband. The worth and value of the women to whom Peter is writing is based on the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ. And we'll get into that more when we get, when we get into verse 7. But women are not being told here, or Christian women especially, are not being told here that you, when you are relating to other men, that you are supposed to be subject to them because they're men. That is not being said here. And this is certainly not saying men have the right to subject the women around them because they're women. What is being said is for the women who have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places who bring with them the, that, that inherent value and worth of Jesus Christ and who become the bouquet of the heavenly places and the different relationships in which they find themselves, that they express that in their interactions with their husbands, regardless of if their husbands are worth it. Now, this has been utterly and completely abused in the history of the church. And we're going to have a special sermon just on that abuse. So I just want to make sure that everyone is clear. I am sticking to the positive side of being subject here. And we'll get to those very important caveats. But the subjection here is voluntary. And it's between Christian wives and their husbands. All right, are we clear on that so far? And notice the, the motivation, why? If you want to win him to Christ, show him the Christ who voluntarily submitted himself and who even suffered. The temptation for women in the Roman Empire, the temptation for the women in the Roman Empire was this. Because they had very, even for the free women, by the way, and most women were not free, but even for the free women who, and, and by the way, even within the free women, right, there were different, there were different classes. There were free women um, that were actual citizens of Rome and who, who had at least a little bit more rights 
than the free woman who wasn't a citizen of Rome and who had more, way more rights than the slave woman. And one of their biggest temptations for women of this day, when you don't have rights, when you don't have power, is to do what? Find your value and your worth through manipulation, especially through physical beauty. One of the greatest temptations here for, for a woman that would be experiencing what is going on is to placate her husband through her appearance. And what Peter is calling for is not to placate and manipulate through your physical appearance because that's not where your value and worth comes from. Show him the value in your worth through a gentle, quiet spirit. Now, we're going to have to have a whole sermon on that because being gentle and quiet from one, for one woman, it's not the same as another. There is no general idea here of, or cookie cutter idea here of, here's what a gentle and quiet spirit looks like for every single woman in every single situation. Because look, some of you do have good husbands. There's a couple of good husbands here, I think. No, some of, some of you here are blessed with good husbands, which helps tremendously, by the way, with what he's saying here, but not all Christian women throughout the world have Christian husbands. This is why, by the way, in our prayer agenda, every time that we are praying for, a, for uh, one of the persecuted churches uh, in one of the top 50 countries of persecution, um, if it's a Muslim country, I typically have something about praying for the wives. Because just like in the Roman Empire, just like today, in these countries where there is a lot of this pressure, there tend to be more women converts than men. And the women converts find themselves in positions of having no power, very little freedom and rights, and they are in an extremely vulnerable position. And we absolutely have to be praying for these Christian sisters who are coming to know Christ in these Muslim countries where their families are allowed to hurt them in order to retain the honor of the family's name. God, we are told here, values an honest presentation of Christ. And as tempting as it is to use physical attributes, physical beauty, to try to win a husband, or even to mitigate some of his lesser qualities, what Christ is encouraging our ladies to do is to trust themselves to showing him and letting the attraction be on him. Women do not have to find their value and their worth in physical beauty, in the use of their bodies and feminine wiles. Instead, show forth Jesus. We've been saying that for weeks now. The inherent evangelistic and apologetical value of a witness for Jesus Christ is entrusting yourself to him and to his wisdom 
and showing forth Jesus. Now, wives here today, there is obviously application for you, even if you are married to a believer. When you show forth Christ to your husband, and people see that, you are bearing witness to the Christ that you were hoping to get an opportunity to share. There is so much more to be said, and Lord willing, we will get there, but hopefully you see now that there is this trend from one institution to the other where the trend is the same. Voluntarily subject yourself as one who has the Christ who voluntarily did that, operating within you, transforming you, so that you are revealing more and more of him and less and less of the values of this world. And don't be concerned about whether or not the structure that you are in makes it easy. Instead, entrust yourself to the one who judges fairly and who has already judged you to be as righteous as his son where you are fully acceptable and pleasing, where you are part of that beautiful bride of Jesus Christ because of the beauty that he is giving to you as he continues to transform you more and more into his likeness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, these are tough words. I can't imagine the difficulty that Peter had in saying this to the to the women that were struggling. And there were all different degrees of struggle. And Lord, there is nothing new under the sun. These same struggles exist right now. The same difficulties exist. The same challenges exist. And yet the same provision of Jesus Christ persists. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people who would embrace your wisdom over our own, a wisdom that comes from your word and not from society and not from our own hearts and certainly not from our own desires, but that comes from you and it comes from above. And so help us to cultivate that heavenly identity that we have in Christ so that in doing so, we would also manifest the heavenly wisdom. And Lord, I do pray for the women across the world right now who find themselves in marriages with a husband that is not a believer or a husband who is, a, is has backslidden or, or even for husbands that claim Christ and are jerks because they're out there. Father, we pray that you would make yourself known to them in special ways and that you would encourage their hearts that you would help protect them from the temptations of this world. Father, we pray especially for those women who find themselves in honor cultures where they are blamed for misfortune in their family, where they are blamed for things that are not theirs to be blamed for, and where they are treated horrendously. Father, your word tells us that they're are going to be many wearing those white robes. 
stained in the blood of their own martyrdom. And yet, having been sustained by you, Lord, this is wisdom that we don't get. This is showing forth a victory in a way that is so opposite to what comes natural to us. And so, Lord, sustain these women and help us as your people who are here to be sensible signs of goodness to use whatever influence we have to help women who are suffering and struggling in these types of cultures and in these types of marriages. Help us to be a refuge for those who need the hope of Jesus Christ. Help us to look for ways, Lord, in which women struggle and help them to know, Lord, that we are here not to judge. It is your job to judge, and that is yet in the future. For now, Lord, we are that presentation of your goodness and grace. And so give us opportunities, Lord, to serve and to protect and to feed and to nourish women. Not because of anything other than the glory that is due to you and the joy that you do provide those who entrust themselves to you. Father, convince us that the truth of your word is indeed firm and that there is no safer or more steady place to stand than on it. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.